0: Hello, everyone. I'm Greg Bendy, and welcome back to the ProgCast, where we get into it when we're talking about music with just the great creators of music in different styles and different parts of the world. There are just so many different ways to be progressive. And today it's just such a treat for me because I'm getting to speak to, with really one of the Progenitors of progressive music, rock, progressive rock, whatever you want to call it, alternative rock. Certainly it was alternative. And uh, he's one of the founding members of Van der Graaf Generator. He's a singer, he's a composer, he is a musical conceptualist. We're going to talk about all of that stuff. Welcome to the program, Judge Smith. Hello, Judge. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you, Greg. It's very nice to be here speaking to you.
0: Well, we have a lot to speak about. Um, I, I, I kind of don't know where to start, but I do like to start with some with just some early memories of what it was that got you excited about music, how you jumped in, you know, what was your level, what were your other interests, what was going on in your life?
1: I think all that started at school. Usual thing, love pop music, uh, early, the first Bob Dylan album, blues, uh, a lot of jazz. My father was very keen on jazz. Um, and we used to go to, uh, uh, took me to Ronnie Scott's as a very young, you know, teenager. Then later, as soon as I was, you know, 16, he'd give me five pounds and, packed me off to Ronnie Scott's on my own. He had this quaint idea that you wouldn't come to any harm in a jazz environment, which is, I think, rather optimistic on his part. But still, I got to see a lot of jazz, and I I love jazz. I still still love it. Um, But I didn't start to get... I played drums at various school bands and so on, but uh, very bad. Greg, I can't tell you. I'm such a, I'm such a bad drummer. <laughs> um, but on leaving school, I went to America. This is 1967 with a friend. And we spent three months in the States going around on a Greyhound bus. You could get a, a, a ticket for 99 days for
0: $99. Had you heard... The Simon and Garfunkel song yet? Oh, wh- America?
1: Oh yes. Um I well I don't know. If if it had come out I'd have heard it. But was that this, wasn't what it, inspired it, me. It wasn't it's a wonderful by It's them. a wonderful song. Uh, just a magic, magic song. Because that's song. exactly
0: what you're saying, is that you got a greyhound bus.
1: Yeah, to look for America. We're, it was an amazing time and, and we ended up in in San Francisco this is the summer of 67 and uh that was pretty mind-blowing experience um and we uh, we turned up in the middle of the night um didn't have anywhere to stay and we went into a coffee shop and there are all these guys with funny clothes and long hair The hippies the hippies let's go and sit down and talk to the hippies mm-hmm. so which we duly did and uh They were a band and they, uh, offered to put us up in one of those lovely old, you know, old houses in San Francisco on the steep hills with, with a couple of wonderful girls and, uh, yeah, it got country Joe and the fish. So, you know, we're just callow, callow kids, 18 year olds, fresh out of posh, english public school and rattling around uh, san francisco we say we went to lots of gigs and we saw all the San Frans most of the san francisco bands we didn't catch janice joplin we didn't catch the grateful dead but most of the rest we saw or i saw Uh, it was amazing and that really made me think "Mm, you know this music stuff because so I, I fancied myself as as a poet, like you do when you're 18, you know, write poems. And I thought, you know, this was really, you could make an art form out of rock and roll, in other words, and do serious stuff or strange stuff.
0: Okay, so this is where I wanted to jump in, because your background, your posh background, right, your sort of bougie thing. And you're what? You're bored with that and you're looking for the thing that speaks to your moment, your age. You're not buying into your parents' records necessarily, even though you went through your jazz phase. But you're you're interfacing with ground zero of psychedelia in possibly the entire scene, but certainly the Bay Area scene that must how 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 much did that attract you how much did it just blow your mind or were you looking for it were you hungry for it
1: well I thought this was something I could do I could certainly try and write words that would fit with this kind of music Hmm. I don't think at that time I really thought about writing music as such as far as i can remember but i thought i gotta get into it. we gotta have i gotta have a band i gotta be in a band and i was going when we got back from this trip i was due to start at manchester university so i thought that's where i'll try and you know do something to do with rock and roll of some sort i didn't know what i thought well, maybe i can sing mm. or i can try and play the drums or i can write lyrics or you know i wanted to get involved because it seemed to be a, a really interesting interesting
0: scene um, and maybe little did you know good lyricists were badly needed <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true it's true that's god there's and a whole frip figured it out he's like you gotta get a guy like you can't just have somebody write some more. I I want lyrics. Get get that guy. Get Simphrey. <laughs> you know. Get Palmer James. We need. We can't do this. That's interesting, right? Because because the role of the lyricist is tantamount. It's just like it. It. It's all based. All the music is coming out of the imagery and the words, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I was always keen on it, and I and I. In subsequent years, I was uh, not that excited by prog rock lyrics, shall
0: we say. You know, I, I, I thought they were wet. <laughs> well, let, let's talk a little bit about that, because this fascinates me. You're there. It's happening. All these bands, we want to maybe you want to mention. Yes, Genesis, King Crimson, whatever. You're, you're involved in your own thing. But I'm really curious, what are the pros and cons or what are the strengths and weaknesses of so-called prog rock come on, from your perspective?
1: Well, it, um, I didn't like the period, and it was quite a long period. I guess about you know 20 years when prog meant... You sounded like Genesis, or you sounded like Yes. um, That's post-pro. You had to sound that way, and the keyboards had to sound like that. The the changes were those kind of changes, and I thought, God, this is awful. Um, But when when we started the Vandegrift with you know progressive rock. I don't think anybody called it prog but progressive yeah. rock was a respectable you know worthy sort of description we sometimes said underground music or progressive music you know um but and I I I think in more recent years the the definition of prog has widened out uh very satisfactorily so you know it it covers all kinds of stuff jazz interfaces you know Zappa is now often referred to as a a prog artist which you never would have been in the 1980s and 1990s for example you know um and i think it's it's settled down into a much more satisfactory kind of um definition the big glossy prog magazines have got a lot of really interesting stuff in them
0: well it's, it's just become a larger tent. Yeah. As it should be, because I point to another uh, sort of auspicious moment in this whole discussion, which is if you look at Return to Forever's album, Romantic Warrior, is it jazz rock? Mm. Is it a prog rock album? Both sides agree that's a great album. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, You know, you have the the union of that where you're just saying... So what are we doing here? What are we what are we really trying to do? It's everything that it is and each thing has a percentage of what makes it jazz, what makes it orchestral, what makes it eastern, what makes it down home bluesy, you know. So you're looking at, at I think it's always a game of percentages and not not to to knock you off your train of thought but But yes, this is a healthy thing that we now have a larger tent. Yeah. Uh, This new project is playing on Prague festivals around the world. And as it should be, because I happen to know McLaughlin was influenced and inspired by Zappa. And for for us, for a lot of us in America, Zappa is ground zero for the movement of bringing many elements together and not giving a fuck. And And for
1: me that you know he was the the touchstone from very very early on you know right the way through um i just love that stuff Do you remember um,
0: freak out and uh revolver being simultaneous oh yes yes that's true that's true well i love them both you know beatles
1: is fantastic i've always been um um uh, i like melody i like tunes and riffs and sometimes i felt that prog music has has had the most fantastic musicians unbelievably adept musicians with levels of skill that are staggering but you know they're not playing very interesting tunes you know there's not been a overriding compositional thing going on it's been like let's get together and play some complex shit you know
0: <laughs> okay so that that you're talking about the later the post period the neo yeah. the neo period <laughs> yes yeah that's that that's very much true and of course i say this all the time you have to have the writing there's gotta yeah be... i think so it's not it can't because then if it's just platforms for improvisation or wank you know then what is it it's it's Imp- While well, Jan Hammer would call it improvisational rock, he doesn't like the term jazz rock. I don't know if I've ever told that on the show before, but uh, the conversation I had with Jan Hammer after we performed the entire Intermountain Flame with the Mahavishnu Project, really, he, he came to hear us, and um, he said, uh, "I really like what you guys are, are doing with this. You're doing your own thing." I said, well, yeah, Jan, that's, that's, I feel the point of the music is since it's, you know, any other form of jazz, and he stops me and he says, no, 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 this isn't jazz rock. This is improvisational rock. Do you think Jeff Beck knows anything about jazz? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And it was like, you were, and he said, "Oh, oh, oh, I was there when, when jazz died. That's a good line. <laughs> so I, so I know what this is. It's really interesting. <laughs> Coming from you know the the guy, like no, this isn't jazz rock. This is improvisational rock. And you know we've heard all these different, yeah, you know, monikers that that either do or don't help. <laughs>
1: Well that's a great line. I was there when Jazz died. Yeah. You know. What was he what was he talking about there, well, incidentally?
0: What what it is is that moment where electric instruments have to take over
1: oh I see yeah, the yeah.
0: energy of that moment and post Hendrix and it's yeah. was, was like there's post Beatles and there's post Hendrix, mm. and they kick up a notch. So in the post Hendrix world, that's how you get McLaughlin. In the post Hendrix world, that's where you go from playing with Sarah Vaughn to go, oh, what's the hippest electric thing happening right now? Because yeah, you know, immediately wanted to play synth and he didn't have one, so he's on roads with the with the fuzz. Uh, with, I'm sorry, with the processor and and then, um, you know, he's longing to be electric. So he was. This is the guy who's leaving dead world and yeah. to see the moment for him
1: yeah yeah
0: you couldn't go back you couldn't it's such an interesting inflection point because it just really is going to either continue in the tradition or you're going to now have this whole other thing which included you judge and you had a jazz rock group called hebelop oh
1: that was that was funny stuff yeah, we well we liked Zappa, and it was um, we weren't very good. Uh, at least I wasn't playing drums, so that's a step forward. What were you playing? Um, I was singing, I was singing and writing, um, mainly lyrics. But um, we had a, had a saxophone player called David Jackson. And he was the only one of us who could really cut it in terms of, you know, uh, musicianship. Uh, the rest of us just weren't really good enough to do what we wanted to do. We 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 uh, cut some demos for, I think they were called, I don't know, marmalade or tangerine. Um, uh, the sorry with age comes forgetting names uh so i'm trying to think of the name of the manager who um who signed us up uh he he uh he managed magma uh-huh. and was the rolling stones first uh manager in fact uh Giorgio gomelsky that's it it comes eventually you know through the I, and i Polish.
0: should have known that one yeah yeah
1: um uh the, but his his record label went under and we would have needed an awful lot of work before we'd be up to it you know but what it was, was a very interesting thing
0: yeah what was going on in that how do you have this kind of music jazz rock so to speak with a singer
1: well we liked um we liked jazzy solos we liked solos that went all over the place we like the enhar, well, is that the right word? Um, not enharmonic. The, uh, the the kind of solos that aren't necessarily following, uh, aren't necessarily just running up and down the key that the the, the music's in. Stuff that goes all over the shop. Okay. Um, you know, jazz. What jazz does. Right. Um, and we like that in terms of solos or what instrumentals would do and we like rock structures and song structures and voice uh verses middle eight choruses and so on but um our keyboard player uh we we liked him to go crazy and david jackson could cut loose and was actually able to play pretty well even at that stage i mean i think he's a wonderful musician uh we've stayed in touch ever since um but uh uh yeah it didn't seem to be a conflict between those things at all really any more than there is in Zappa. you know he has songs where there's pretty straightforward uh melody lines often very very beautiful melody lines and beautiful. then there's an instrumental beautiful. break that's absolutely crazy you know so we like that kind of stuff
0: and is that i think it's really interesting to point to those two places the beatles and zappa because you can't say they didn't get there at the same time hmm. in their own way yeah in, in a post duop world you know in a post uh, light classical world hmm. and and they they've they've heard a lot of music already and now they're they're brash and young and they're going to do something different. And you're you're right there in the thick of it. What's percolating with you and Pete Hamill around that time?
1: Well, this is this blob happened after.
0: I understand we're jumping around in time a little bit, but that, let's get let's get back a little bit to that moment with Pete Hamill.
1: Well, that was while we were both at Manchester University and we both were interested in starting a band and there was a a sort of a a meeting or a flyer went up, anybody who was interested in rock and roll, playing in a band, you know, meet up in a certain room in the university, and about 20 people turned up. And there was this um, young dude there uh, strumming a guitar and singing in a very lovely voice. And I thought, oh, hang on, he's good. I asked him I said I don't know that song it's a very good song he said oh it's one of mine I said really you've got any more (laughs) he said oh yeah about 30 or 40. oh really have you ever thought about you know well he was really a folk singer then Uh, but he was great I mean you know he could sing he looked he looked the part he's very handsome and you know a babe magnet Kind of thing, and I, I just wanted to be in a band, <laughs> and so, so um, you know we started something together uh, that was uh, the Van de Generator. Generator, um, and we, we it was just the two of us f- for a while, and we played in underground clubs in Manchester. We we supported um, Mark Bolan mm-hmm. on one occasion. Um, uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex
0: were there interesting run-ins in that well yeah he
1: (laughs) he didn't like us Um, he thought in some way we nicked his formula of you you know lovely guitar player and weirdy guy playing percussion and mucking about on the side like Steve Peregrine took
0: were you like uh, were you checking them out
1: no no it was all peter stuff already written I, I was playing silly instruments and nose flutes and bongos and stuff because that's all i could do i couldn't do anything else but you're still writing
0: cards right hmm? you're doing the lyrics
1: i, I do some lyrics yes we did do some co-writing together but he was always very accomplished he was an accomplished lyricist at that point and had a lot of great songs on his own so you know i don't take uh, but we we did some collaboration but when we left university and, and and got some tapes heard by mercury records and got signed up to mercury and came down to london left our university after one year um what were you studying at
0: university
1: i was doing drama so the theatrical element of rock performance appealed to me very much. And in fact, the most the most significant thing, I mean, the bands we got in our uh, student union at that time, it's just unbelievable.
0: I see Jimi Hendrix came. I know um, this happens, and it happened in my era in the early 80s. <laughs> So you had a, a somebody at your school that was bringing in these acts, you yeah, had Hendrix. Hendrix. We had, well, oh yeah, Hendrix. He was fantastic. But the most,
1: the most, and uh, uh, oh, early Pink Floyd and um, uh, Stevie Wonder. Um, but the most extraordinary and influential thing that we saw was Arthur Brown, Crazy World of Arthur Brown which was a total, you know, um, gotcha. a, a major, major experience. Um, and he just, he had a, a, um, it was just, it was just, uh, organ, organ bass and drums and him doing this wild stuff. At the front, and uh, it was just mesmeric and appealed to me very much uh, as a you know, being interested in in theater and was studying, you know, studying drama, and so on. It was just, just 68 total performance, 68,
0: 69. Yeah, um, yeah, 68. 68, Arthur Brown is out doing this stuff, yeah, and you must have been gobsmacked.
1: We were. We were, and it it it, it led to Van der Graaf Generator being an organ-based band rather than a guitar-based band, at least in the earlier years. Uh, Hamels um, plays a lot of electric guitar now and 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 so on. But uh, to start with, it was an organ-based band, and that comes from Arthur Brown, and in in, in, in many years later, I got to know Arthur pretty well um and, and, a, and a magnificent magnificent man um cool. so nice to have a, an idol that doesn't didn't have you know feet of clay um he was very I even got some singing lessons off him um, um but a splendid man
0: yeah um, uh, amazing musician serious about yeah. craft I mean, come on! It's Arthur Brown we're talking about now. We're speaking of organ in this moment. Is the Nice on your radar?
1: Oh yes, very much so. Yes, uh, we when we started up in London, they were get, they were going by then. They were operational by then and were very impressive. Obviously, Emerson's amazing organist. Uh, so yeah, we were certainly checking them out
0: um classical rock idea appeal to you oh yes yes it does
1: Uh, as long as it's not just doing jazzed up versions of of um classical tunes as long as it's you know going somewhere different mind you nothing wrong with that you know fanfare of the fanfare for the common man and all that is great stuff i mean it's marvelous work um and uh yeah, the, the, that classical shtick is uh, always appealed to me, anyway. And and Hamel, a lot of his lines and his structures were quite, you know, romantic music, you know, in the in the in the nineteenth century.
0: And, and description. It's, such, it's such an interesting juncture again because it's predicated upon a music public. That had been exposed to what we could call light classical or classical music in some form through the radio, through for, through it being in in the education system to a certain degree, even in, in grammar school or earlier, you're you're going to have this foundational knowledge of what a classical tune is, and when you hear it played in a rock fashion you'd get the reference i mean you would still think it's beautiful music but you know emerson in the middle of knife edge going into bach is incredibly effective but i didn't know the bach when i heard it well
1: for me a lot of those classical composers seem to my ears to be playing rock and roll um uh um shostakovich and um oh. stravinsky oh, yeah. um you know uh, uh, firebird yeah uh, uh, uh Rite of spring and so on is rock like, to me well and often, um I it say- doesn't seem to me a very a very separate thing i mean he hasn't got drum well they have got drums bashing away quite often um but um uh I've never seen too much of a a break between these things. And I mean, I've used uh, classical tropes in terms of orchestration. And I did my requiem mass. Yes. My biggest piece really is is that with a big choir, four trumpets, four trombones and a rock band, you know, and a lot of that is quite classical.
0: Who are your favorite composers? Zappa. (laughs) Zappa,
1: um, Holst, Mm. Stravinsky, Shostakovich. Um, The, uh, oh God, now uh, the brain's going to go now. Uh, American guy worked with player piano only.
0: Onlin Nankaro
1: yeah nankaro i just love that stuff uh, i've got all all that even though i can't remember his name yeah um yeah. i'm just that's just staggers predates,
0: me predates zappa's use of the synclavier for audio yeah
1: very interestingly apparently so the story goes zappa offered to set um nankaro up with some music music technology to uh, maybe help him bypass this this very lengthy and arduous process of punching the holes in the thing but of course as far as i know there's no software that allows you to have multiple time bases going at the same time
0: there there is now
1: yeah not at my affordability i use logic understood and there's you can't have something going at you know 60 beats a minute and then another track going at 70 beats a minute which is what nankaro was doing all the time things were slowing down and speeding up
0: ratios yeah
1: ratio and um you can't i'd have tried mucking around with that but i i haven't found a way to do it in in a standard sort of uh i mean you can do it you can calculate it i suppose stretch oh. things out compress so, things in
0: so the the composers are you're talking about are 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 interesting would charles ives have been in there at all
1: well i don't know a lot of charles ives i know the famous bits yes you know the famous ones, but I've I've never made a I've never gone into him in in detail. I'm sure I would like him, as he had simultaneous things playing at the same time, didn't he? Different different sections of the orchestra would play separate things.
0: Yeah, so I would, remember be, as a
1: yeah. sorry, I was good, just going to say I, I remember as a boy I used to like going round the school's music the what we call the music school, separate building, lots of little studios with people playing instruments i used to like just sitting in the hall and you could hear all this random music coming at you that had no relation with anything but was meeting in the middle and i found that very stimulating i enjoyed that that's
0: a very very interesting thing and when we talk about environmental music and atmospheric music that's another area you're very interested in
1: yeah, I guess so. I've never gone into that thing where you you know you record in the trees and you know you're recording. I don't use natural sounds very much. A few as special effects or gags or whatever, but
0: but creating an uh, atmosphere. Oh yeah, sure.
1: I mean, if music doesn't create an atmosphere, it, yeah, what's the point in doing it? Sorry, I misunderstood. You know, there there's there's yeah a lot of people want to you know to get it all back to nature and so on That's so I thought you we were talking about
0: yeah. that. um and and you know the area that you live in is so interesting to me Glastonbury, Glastonbury. oh yeah yeah um I've always had a love for the place and uh the tours and just this whole other otherworldly quality to it
1: it's very true it is very strange i mean it, it, it is very very interesting there's a lot of music going on but all of tends to be of a certain type a lot of folk based stuff and some of it is very very good indeed it has to be said um i've done one album with glastonbury musicians that was it's very interesting what's that experience um it's called Towers Open Fire. Which is a quote from uh, William Burroughs, uh, who I like, um, and uh, that was using local musicians um, and kind of folk open tunings and guitar stuff, guitar music, acoustic guitar music, um, which I hadn't really done a lot of. So that was an interesting experience. But I think uh, uh, almost all my stuff is very different from, it's all very varied, which I don't think has done my career any good at all. You know, there's not, there's, all the records are extremely different. Some people like that, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a formula for for becoming popular. Because people don't know what you what the next record's gonna be.
0: Well you're 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 are my and our hero in this regard, as are your contemporaries, in that we felt and I can I'm happy to share this with you, we felt that you showed that it's really about as many different aspects of your musicality as possible. And you should be searching and you should be moving forward. And you're not really just purveying one thing. And so yes, I mean, you're talking to a kindred spirit, uh, or, or some of your progeny, because I don't do the same thing if I can help it twice. But no try to remain creative, try to, you know, have my tropes yeah but go take it into another area take it into a different place and see what kind of it stands on its two feet if you have a cool concept i'm well sorry, i wasn't ex
1: having having seen you playing drums i certainly wasn't expecting the tune percussion stuff i found you know whoa <laughs> you do that too so uh yeah, yeah it
0: all falls under percussion so for me at an early age I decided it was all percussion. So drum set is just percussion. Mm. It's just a setup of percussion instruments. And we have percussion instruments that are just tuned. What a lovely thing. I can play melodies now. I don't just have to bang about. <laughs> you know, and a vibraphone is such a beautiful sound.
1: It is wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. My father had so many um uh you know, Milt Jackson and uh, uh mjq and uh brubeck and all that yeah so much vibe vibraphone stuff i loved it I, and still do it's still a fascinating sound for me
0: red norvo all the way up to bobby hutcherson and beyond uh, you know, just these guys and and you know the the role of it in cartoon music yeah only really recently start to realize what I was hearing in cartoon and, and I think you mentioned off-camera novelty recordings
1: yeah I love I love xylophone it's it's funny it makes me laugh yeah. <laughs>
0: Um and also it's it when zappa uses it it's just like it's just machine gun and it cuts through everything oh, you want to Ruth and yes Ruth oh god what a heroine as a young
1: man you just thought oh my god this is the ultimate woman (laughs) she looks beautiful and she plays nailing it fabulous percussion
0: (laughs) the the, uh, keys of the instrument had been drilled and attached with pickups which is something that had never really been done that he kind of in the frontier of that
1: really i didn't know that. that
0: because if you look at the record the the live footage you can see that if there are mics above it, that would be really unusual because they're all the vibraphone and the marimba are both drilled to have pickups. Ah, and I guess he figured out a way where they get away with it. Yeah, um, he's concerned about tone, but no, I mean then there's this guy now, um, Mike, that's playing in Les pools group, is doing. Uh, pickup system underneath each key, which I guess is not where I'd want at the end of the key for the tone to be. I want to have more of the attack, but whatever works, you know. He uses hard mallets. Yeah, but yeah. So so you you're into to all the tune percussion and all that stuff. That's that's really cool. It's underrated.
1: Yes, I agree. I agree. Not that you know. I, I'm i mean I, I i my um my music's pretty simple it's pretty simple it's um i don't i can write quite complex sort of compositions but there's no virtuosity uh if i want some virtuosity i'm i i mean most of my music is done with other people i will make demos and then i will get uh guitarist friends or whatever uh, keyboard people um, to play properly you know I don't have any pretences this last one i I did do all myself, so that's all programmed and so on I can do a fair old demo of things, but generally speaking I, I want to get real musicians in there it's a, it's a question of finance really um, i I've, I've always been completely independent not not Through choice, really, it's just that no one, (laughs) no, no one's going to manage me or, uh, uh, put out my records on a, on a record label. I've had a couple of things out financed by other people. Um, but generally it's self financing, which means that my budget is very, very low. So doing things in my own studio, I've got a little, uh, garden shed, really, that I use, very nice, quite well soundproof, um, for laying tracks down. uh, And then uh, getting other people to record remotely, sending stuff or coming in and playing stuff. And then I take the whole lot to a proper studio for mixing. And that's a good compromise. I can afford that. So I've cut my, cut my uh, my coat according to my cloth. cut my cloth
0: according to my coat no that's not right
1: <laughs> I've had to work within my budget
0: Coat according to your cloth
1: cloth that's it that's the one <laughs>
0: yeah it's so true it's like uh on this upcoming Mike Keneally thing where I did xylophone vibraphone glockenspiel tune percussion uh, untuned percussion drum set you know we did it remotely and just sent it to each other. So that we could then he'd overdub on top of that. And then I'd overdub on top of that. And I've heard
1: some early material by him. And he's great, I think really good.
0: Yeah, we we co created this thing, based on him playing bass and me playing drums, improvised song form. And then we wrote a melody to the bass part. And then we wrote a harmony to the bass part. And it just sort of never worked i've never worked that way before and it was very fruitful because you come up with things you would never come up with if you were trying to write a proper song yeah you know these odd numbers of bars and phrases and you know leave a beat here add a beat there and just happening organically now that's your skeleton to build on yeah so you and pete hamill really are only in van de Graaff for a minute right
1: me i was in for a short time um when we got to london the first thing i thought we've got to get a dr- a proper drummer because i was the drummer and i was very uh i i it was i realized i was no good you know and needed to we needed a proper drummer, so I said we recruited a proper drummer and an organist. Um, then, of course, I didn't really have a job anymore. I didn't have a role. I was sort of singing backing vocals, uh, harmonies and stuff, which I wasn't very good at. I've got better, got a lot better as I've got older at singing, but really I wasn't, I was far too, I was you know, trying to copy Arthur Brown all the time, you know, which is not not a good thing to do. Um, so, uh, I left, uh, after their first single because I just, you know, how you are when you're young, you know, you want to be, you want to be valued. Uh, and everyone was very nice, but there wasn't really a role for me. Hamill was, the, his, once he got into the idea of rock rather than folk music, his writing just took off. In a major fashion, uh, words and music, remarkable work, and really didn't need me from that point of view. Um, so I was waving a tambourine and going ooh and ah in the background, and uh, makes
0: perfect sense. Yeah, makes sense. And and what's your impetus at that time? What are you What are you looking to do when it's your thing?
1: Well, that's when I went off and tried to I had this 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 group called Hebelob. I mean, honestly, with a name like that, I mean, how could we have? What were we thinking? It was we called it that because um, um, you know, b- b- bebop was called bebop because it's what it sounds like. Bibop, biba, do Um And we said, well, there ought to be a similar word for you know, Albert Ayler and all these kind of avant-garde saxophone players that we like, and we say it was Hebelog because Hebelog, Hebelog, you know that kind of.
0: Sound. This is an interesting area too <laughs> because trying to name Eric Bailey, Evan Parker, improvised music world. Somebody came up with Squeaky Bonk. Just <laughs> like with Meshuga, now it's called Gent because it's jen 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 and you, you <laughs> see this tradition and it works perfectly because of course that's how bebop came was called bebop <laughs> we
1: we, we like that um yeah you talk about evan what was it evan parker and
0: yeah.
1: yeah we um max the guy from hebelob and i actually carried on because i, I, I went he was an architect um and uh, i went on to work for him freelance for a long time um and we had uh an avant-garde group called the free art research trio and uh that was i made a wooden drum kit of you know wooden boxes and old toy xylophones uh Blocks of wood with a saw and contact microphones and so on. You know, we got a lot of, uh, X army contact microphones that you attach to things. And he would go bang, bang, bang on an old electro piano put through fuzz boxes and wah wah pedals and so on. And we made a tremendous racket. And we, the idea was that it, it all was recorded onto three minute tape loop. And then that tape loop was played back and we play along with that. And then that was taped and then they both come back and we put another layer on top. So, uh, it was quite an interesting idea and it sounded, it sounded great, but we, we weren't real, you know, we're not good musicians. We're not, I wasn't a musician at all. And all the guys working in that area. Are generally fantastically good musicians and very, very serious about making funny noises. Um, Derek Bailey and all the, these guys, you know, <laughs> they didn't take too kindly to us because we were kind of arsing about. But we made, we took the music seriously. We took the noises we were making very seriously. Um, and we did some, we did some good gigs. We played at the, um, international carnival of experimental sound at the roundhouse in 1970 72 something like that 73 maybe um which was a very exciting thing to do um and we played at ronnie scott's club that was the peak of my ambition downstairs in the real club not upstairs with the rock and roll rubbish um we actually played there on one occasion but anyway i'm sorry this is i just wandered off there no, talking it's... about make funny noises
0: music um well you know which, i worked extensively with derek bailey really oh yeah golly from like 83 to 99 something oh, wow. And um, did did a duo record with him called Banter, which is on YouTube, and and then also the Sign of Four with he and Pat Metheny and me and Paul Wertico, uh-huh. and that was really noisy. But Banter, I, I'm particularly happy with, and yeah, those I, I I I know there's this intersection between you guys being aware of that what would we call I guess the free improv scene. Yeah. Um, And then there's intersections with rock because Keith Tippett shows up in Crimson. James Dewar shows up in Crimson. All all the different horn players show up in all these bands. Um, You know, thinking of um, uh, Evan Parker, you know, he's, he's showing up in different situations very early on uh what's that like it's like i would assume for you it's like you don't care there's it's normal that there's no barriers
1: yeah i think that's fair maybe there should have been but there weren't we just that sounds good let's put (laughs) let's have someone you know going crazy on a piano you know let's let's do it didn't really matter very much as long as it sounded good you know, in the end, and it was, um, what, what was that? Um, yeah, Hamill had a good phrase for it. Um, uh, I'll think of it. Uh, it was r- r- proper work, you know, where, work that you were really trying to do well. You weren't just doing something to get some money in. Well, what do you think um, of
0: this theory Andy Partridge posited on this program? Andy said that the music of the era that you're becoming involved in is the result of having grown up with uh The Goon Show and the the radio plays that involve uh sound effects and and uh uh funny uh ways of using the basic radio to try to make it come alive and George Martin becomes the producer for the Beatles for that reason. Yes. So the and novel- of
1: course and and he worked with the Goons. Yes. George Martin. And also a lot of those that what I um what novelty records. One-off commercial funny records involving sound effects and um wonderful stuff which i loved and that was george almost invariably, you see it's george martin was the producer so it's a very interesting interface that he brought all that craziness or ability to go be crazy in into the beatles
0: it's a marriage made in heaven
1: absolutely
0: yeah and spike jones too is important oh god i love spike jones
1: ah I wonder how wonderful to have a, a kit of those cowbells that's the most amazing instrument
0: it's just i have seen one with wood blocks chromatic uh, uh oh right wood blocks and then i've recorded on chromatic tubular drums
1: oh right oh yes yeah
0: boo-bams but you know they're on planet of the apes soundtrack they're they're on the odd couple theme on television but it, it's just you know there's so many different ways of having tune percussion you know different... I think
1: Spike sorry I beg your pardon but yeah Spike
0: yeah. Jones yeah
1: i just a wonderful artist I think I think that stuff is incredibly funny and they're fabulous musicians these people are just so good at what they do it's amazing it's um awesome. and lots of those kind of Comical groups, or well, the Temperance Seven. Did that ever get over to America? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful musicians. Uh, I, I just found that, you know, fake nineteen twenties jazz very spoke to me in a big way. Um, so there was all that stuff influencing as well. Um, yeah guess I grew up at a lucky time I think when all this melting pot stuff was going
0: on for sure you did sir And, and I will say this also it would seem to me that you are a person that associates music visually and associates visual musically is that fair yeah can you tell me a little bit about song story and just how it's opened up into a Concept of theatrical music presentation?
1: Yep. Yeah. Um it comes really from that early Vandergraaff stage where the long song, the long song, was thought to be a good thing. There was no reason that why we had to write tunes that were three minutes long. You could do long pieces. And once you've got long pieces with structure, which again fed into the this is becomes a prog rock trope um of, of, of longs uh, in sections and this is sometime later i thought well why can't we why can't i tell a story a proper story like that, that really makes sense and um that was stricter in its narrative um, it obeyed its narrative instructions more more, more severely than things like, say, um, uh, uh, Ziggy Rise of Fall and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. Uh, I mean, Ziggy Stardust is the most wonderful album, um, and I think originally he was trying to actually tell a narrative story, which doesn't actually happen. Doesn't any. end
0: up happening. But this idea is being bandied about yeah. Um, trying to get people through a story in three minutes, story in seven minutes, story yeah. in half an hour. And this is doing suppers ready. And, and yep. And, and so this is what's happening. But those are surrealistic and non sort of audience participatory thing where you have to make sense of it. But you're trying to tell a story.
1: I was I yeah, I wanted to I'm a bit you know, may, maybe I'm um, uh, a bit more square, I guess. You know, I, I I think I thought it would be fun to do something that really made sense. And um, this is a long time later. Uh, I did a, a solo album on my own just to show I could do it and to get my friends to take me seriously, musician friends to take me seriously. So if I asked them to help me out on a project, They'd say yes, because, well, he did that thing. That was all right. There's some good tunes on that. Fine. You know, so, and the, uh, <laughs> so I, I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, it's going to be long and it's going to take me a long time to do it. So it better be something I'm really, really interested in. So I I did the, um I always liked airships. So I did the story of the R101 airship disaster on the whole airship thing the british airship experience and um that was you know i mean that ended up um to um two two hours 20 minutes (laughs) so it's big um but uh once i'd got into that and I, everybody I knew is on that. Every every friend I could get on the phone is involved in that in some way or another. And it took a very long took years, many years to do. Um, uh, where were we, where were we, where were we?
0: A big piece, the theater.
1: Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I could see it being done on stage you could you could back projections different people because i wasn't the only singer uh i was telling the story but there were other characters peter hamill was there singing the part of uh, um, uh, lord thompson of cardington the air minister who blew up in this airship and various other people arthur brown's in it uh pete brown it was a very very good wonderful guy died recently sadly um but a a, a good friend and uh, very supportive of my work um he's on it playing percussion very well and singing very well um so everybody i could get involved is on, is on it um and john I said, what, what can I call it? I don't want to call it a rock opera, for goodness sake. Please, no. Uh, if I don't think of something, they're going to call it a rock opera, which, of course, they did anyway. And John Ellis said, we'll call it a song story. Um, John Ellis, the uh, long-time you know, collaborator with me, uh, he was uh, in The Vibrators, one of the seminal punk bands um and he played for peter gabriel uh or gabriel three or gabriel two um yeah one of those one of those ones he's all over and then he played with the stranglers yes. so you know a great and a wonderful wonderful musician and a, and a good mate anyway it was his um concept to call it a song story, and I jumped in that first wonderful verse. So I've called, and I've done say three in that format now. Um, and I think it's a very valid form, to be honest. Uh, you must be. Where a- someone's, must be someone's a- telling a story, and then other people are coming in and singing their bits, and so on, but it's not an opera. Sorry, Greg. I keep no, no. In.
0: I, that's but that's why I'm uh, following on that. It's like Sweeney Todd, where it's a definite story with definite backstory, and then there's musical bits that happen, and then there are parts that aren't f- musical. Or is all of the stuff being sung the whole time?
1: This was this was sung all the time virtually all it was That's, sung no, through. There was no talking in it, or virtually none. Uh you could hear things happening in the background, but no one there was no narration as such. It was all it was all sung. Um but I've I've done stuff with spoken word uh as spoken word lyrics, which I like very much. Um, and uh, uh I, I I've done I've actually uh, written musicals, actual stage musicals, uh, done about three, three of those, um, which was interesting experience. Um, but boy, you know, it's, that's a very expensive, um, medium. It's like, almost like opera. It, to be done well, you've got to have really good people. You've got to have a good band. You've got to have all the production values and so on. And, uh, I was doing them with, in what we would call provincial rep, um, stock, summer stock. What you, you know, where, where you, it's one company and they do different shows, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout a season with the same group of actors. And it was, they were being done in, in, in that format. Um, so, but, you know, we did quite well, we did quite well. Um, and, uh, I learned a lot from that. Uh, and that was, m- that was me writing lyrics and uh, book and lyrics rather than, rather than the music.
0: Right. And this is interesting because you know you're doing this up to the current moment and uh you inspire me and and and, and scold me simultaneously. You've put two al- two albums out in this 2023 and I'm struggling to get one out. So <laughs> tell me about that.
1: Well, I've I, I I the uh uh album two albums ago I put out an album called Old Man in a Hurry, which is a honest um description of me. And it's what happens with old men who've been artists and they suddenly realize, Hey, I got more stuff that I want to do. I better get my act together. I better do stuff quickly. You know, I better get move on. Otherwise this stuff isn't going to get done and mortality you know beckons um eventually so i thought thought i would better sort of get a move on with projects that i really wanted to do because i didn't start recording until i was in my 30s i didn't do my own stuff because i i didn't have the technology to do it with Um, it was only when multi-track recording systems became Good enough and cheap enough. So I was able to get a 16 track Fostex half inch and, uh, um, an emulator, an Emacs uh, sampler, uh, that I was actually able to put stuff down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd written a lot of songs, made lots of cassettes, little, you know, dictaphone cassette recordings of things um which i'm still using i'm still uh, getting stuff out from this you know collect vast collection of, of little tapes um so i i i didn't start i was a late starter when it came to actually recording my own stuff um so that's one reason why you know i, I felt i needed to speed up <laughs> so but uh, As I've done three now back to back and I I finished the last one. I was really very, very happy with the new one, but I suddenly thought, oh, God, you're 75, Judge. You know, (laughs) kick back for a few months, which is what I'm doing. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I, I did go from um that project. And the next one was um a thing called The Trick of the Lock, because I got back uh, in touch with um a marvellous uh piano player and a ranger called Robert Pettigrew, Scots guy from Edinburgh, who I it was in one of my was in my first musical, the Kibbo Kift, um which was nineteen sixty eight. Um no no, 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 sorry, 1976. Sorry, I beg your pardon. 1976. Um, and he played keyboards in the, in the stage band for that. And uh, anyway, I got back in touch with him. And so we did this uh, album of piano songs. So I, I really liked uh, Flanders and Swan, that tradition of um, the cabaret songs, if you like where it's two guys, one guy singing, one guy playing the piano and doing harmonies. Um, and so we did a, an album of, of material done like that, which was a thrill, a big thrill. And then I said, oh my gosh, I've still got so many of these little tunes, these little riffs, some of them dating from the late sixties, even. Um, you
0: always kept tapes. Yeah, always. Yeah,
1: always. Um, I, you know, C60s and C120s. You know, well, I don't know if you can still get them, but I, I got a lot of C, C3s. So that's one and a half minutes on each side. Right. Oh. So they're very, very cheap, and it was long enough for me to go. You know, and. Then that would be, you know, stored in file boxes.
0: So you don't have to go all the way fast forward to find your bit. No,
1: I, I'd write on, um, you know, something that would help me remember what the riff was, and write it on the spine. And then, you know, I, I've got, I still sort of use this system. I've, I've got a a little um, Sony uh, cassette player, mm-hmm. and you can whip those things. In and out very quickly, as quickly as fi- looking for a
0: oh, yeah, file,
1: you sure. know, on a list,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the tangibility of it is nice.
0: Absolutely. No, finding stuff is somehow easier physically than it is on a screen for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. No, I'm not uh, anti-tech. As I, as I said, you know, thank God for it because I wouldn't have been able to do anything. Without digital technology, really, I'd have been completely stuck. Um, and always, you know, at the mercy of, 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 uh, people to, you know, musicians and so on. Yeah. You know, it doesn't sound right at their mercy. I mean, I, I, I would, it would be down to other people playing my stuff rather than, than me at least getting it most of the way there. Um,
0: well, you're able to do musical direction.
1: Yeah, I, I've got pretty good. I, I I know what I want. I hear stuff in 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 my head in in great detail, and I can usually get a good simulacrum of that down onto tape these days. Um, and where it's, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't won't try and do guitars or brass or or, or or saxophones or anything that has got any kind of expression or violins or anything that's you know i'd, I'd say look can you play this you know um, but 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 i i'm it's, it's don't kill me greg but i'm a good drum programmer i can program drums all right it's not through choice greg believe me i would much prefer to you know uh, phone up a friend and have him come round and sit with his kit and record and so on, but I I can't afford it. You know, you need a lot of mics and a, a prop, a good desk and a good acoustic and all that.
0: <laughs> well, you feel free to keep me in mind. I do plenty of tracking over <laughs> here. You know, uh, it, it's so great to talk to you, Judge. Your your career and and your output is just massive. Well, I, well, I'm old,
1: Greg. You know, there's been a lot of time to get stuff done, you know.
0: And you used the time.
1: Well, I hope so. I tried to. I tried to keep busy. I have tried to keep busy and and, and still do. I say this taking time off till Christmas now feels very daring and, you know, idle of me. But I think it'll do me good to lock the studio up for a month or so. Um, but I, I'm hoping to uh uh write a piece for David Jackson next year. David Jackson and his daughter Dorrie, who is a wonderful uh vocalist and vocal arranger, very, very clever vocal arranger, harmony vocals and you know, big choirs and stuff like that. Um so i've always been i've always liked to write for people that i know or that i could get i mean if i'm introduced to a a, a virtuoso nose flute player i'll be going oh, wow what can i write that he can play you know it's that sort of feeling when i when i meet people musicians
0: absolutely yeah what what, what would you do if you had that sound
1: yeah exactly exactly um which is
0: exploitative i suppose but <laughs> he gets the stuff done <laughs> well, and also you know we need more pieces for nose flute <laughs> have you ever heard of nose flute it's really
1: disgusting <laughs>
0: it's a horrible sound <laughs> i'll pay you to not write one <laughs>
1: no nose flutes at the, I keep up thinking oh my god he's gonna get snot's gonna start coming out in a minute
0: <laughs> well, I just remember all the trumpet players blowing their saliva onto the floor of the bandstand and thinking oh yeah you know I'm not liking it then and liking it less thinking about it now
1: <laughs> I was very lucky on the Requiem um uh, I, I, uh, there's a a Basque um, musical academic who has worked in Norway for a long time, Ricardo Odriozola. He's a conductor, also a composer, but he's um, a professor at the Grieg Academy there and very keen on new music and rock and roll.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's very... Up, he's very well listened to, as, as it were, uh, in all kinds of music, and he's become, uh, a great help for me, a great supporter of my music, uh, and he's enabled me to do all various things that I would never, ever have been able to do without him. Um, uh, my Requiem Mass, which I wrote as a very young man, in the early seventies. Uh, but I, there was no way I could record it. And I never, um, pirated from it. I never used the tunes for other things because so I thought, no, it's too good. It's got to be that. And it's the, the, the full Latin mass for the dead. And he heard about this and became interested in it. I sent him the pencil score. That I'd done with another uh, arranger called Michael Brand, who t- t- took my dictation. And I said, "The brass is going bah, bah, ba dah, bah, ba 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 write this down, and and so on, uh, in a very painstaking way, uh, because it was before my samplers and all this kind of stuff. I couldn't make demos. Um, And so he took that paper score, and we rearranged it and reworked some stuff, and. uh Uh, Eventually, I was able to record this mass, Um, and I went over to Norway and we did the recorded the brass over there. He organised the brass section. Uh, I recruited a wonderful choir, the uh, Crouch End Festival Chorus, Um, a magnificent semi-professional choir in London. And, uh, put together a rock band, mostly obsessing musicians from the London theatre scene, who I knew one or two of. So they're mostly guys who, who, who play in the pit bands in London. They're shit, hot musicians. It's a very sought after, well paying gig to play those, those, um, have those 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 jobs um, and they were great and also John Ellis dear old John Ellis uh, playing some unbelievable solos who has to be I think you know one of the best rock guitarists I've ever heard I think he's extraordinary um, I was able to pull out just the kind of solos I like you know wild all over the place um and we did that and that took a big chunk out of my retirement fund but my girlfriend said i said well i can't you know it's going to cost thousands and thousands of pounds she said no you've got to do it otherwise you'll be going on on your deathbed oh i wish i'd done the requiem you know she said you bloody well go and do it so i did and um i'm very very proud of it um I'll gladly send you send this to you, please. Do. And that's had some very nice reviews. But again, I don't know how to promote records. I, I, I everything gets sold off my website, uh, and is- I'm I'm packaging up CDs and sticking them in the post. You know, so this is not a major marketing uh, exercise going on here.
0: But tell people uh, your website, please.
1: Oh, my website is um www.judge-smith that's dot judge dash smith uh dot .com great uh you just put in judge smith into a search engine and it'll pop up at the top though i note that there is an american band called judge smith yes they got a tidy drummer he's a pretty good drummer I think that I think he's the guy who calls himself Judge Smith. How dare he
0: did you but not anyway file the proper papers
1: <laughs> oh yeah i've i've yes, I have, but you know it's different continents there are rules about that you can have you can have the same name on different continents and good luck to him he's, for all I know his name is Judge Smith of course
0: I well, don't yours know. is chris Judge Smith
1: yeah, the judge is real it is a-, f- a first name um a genuine first name it's not a made up one not a rock and roll name but uh judge smith sounded pretty cool um i uh, yes I, i've got a story about that but um i will i it'll come up it'll pop back out of the porridge which
0: is uh, the state of my brain these days um And Judge, you have new product, which you want people to know about. Please tell us about it.
1: Wouldn't mind, Greg. Thank you. Yes, this is the the latest uh, joint from the Judge, Uh, Mr. McKillowatt's Dances. It's um, an homage, really, to the old uh, novelty groups of the 50s and 60s who used to feature xylophone. There are lots of xylophone on this. There's 25 short tracks. Uh, two minutes long, lots of jolly tunes. Anyway, there it is. It's all there on that website or on Bandcamp where all my stuff is there. uh, And the the so-and-sos let you listen to it for free for a couple of times before they ask you to buy it. But still, there's nothing I can do about that. Um,
0: Um, Go and have a listen to my stuff. And you should buy it and and it's uh, good to support the artists on Bandcamp Fridays, which is the first Friday of every month. All the proceeds go to the artists the the uh, uh, the the platform does not take a percentage on that. And yeah, it's good. It's a good it's thing good. to do. And, and it, is, it is good. Look for Judge Smith's music out there, folks. It's uh, it's such a fascinating ride. And, and it's been so fascinating to speak with you, Judge.
1: And great to speak to you too, Greg. And thanks very much for the opportunity.
0: Oh, it's been my pleasure. And people who have enjoyed this episode, I know who you are. You're out there (laughs) and this is your meat, as they used to say. Please uh, like and subscribe and hit us on Patreon because this is the only place you're going to get this kind of stuff. Thank you, Judge Smith. See you next time. Thank
1: you. Bye bye, Greg.
0: Bye bye.